Amen. Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, perfect Holy Father, we thank you today. We thank you that we live in a world where fear could consume us, but because we are children of God, we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to be slaves to our fear any longer. And God, we are thankful for that. So we praise you and lift you high today because you deserve all the glory and all the honor. And Lord, today we pray for your will. We pray for your will to be done in this world, in this country. We pray for our leaders worldwide. We pray for the leaders of our nation and for our state and our city. And Lord, we pray that your will would be done that Your perfect plan would be enacted as we know it will be. Lord, we pray for this church. And we pray for every church that meets in Scottsdale, in Paradise Valley, in the, in the rest of the valley, and in this country and world. We pray that this morning that You would boldly speak through Your pastors, through Your servants, through Your worship. And that you would change lives all over this city and all over this country and the world. That your will would be done. And so Lord, we thank you for today. And Lord, we pray this morning that you would speak to our hearts from your word. Open our minds and our hearts to what you would have us do, what you would have us to learn, and how you would change our lives to help us become the men and women of God that you've called us to be. We thank you, Lord, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. About eight or nine years ago, my wife and I were living in Lake Havasu City, Arizona, and uh, uh, we had a newborn baby. He was just a few months old. Of course, I'm talking about Knox, our oldest, uh, our eight-year-old now. Um, <clears throat> he was a baby, and it was a Sunday afternoon. It was actually a beautiful Sunday afternoon. Uh, it was one of those perfect days in Arizona. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, I think the high that day was in the low 80s, and there was just a gentle breeze. Uh, my wife and I actually had plans to go and do something that afternoon after Knox had taken his nap. So we'd gone to church that morning. It was a Sunday. We'd gone to church that morning. We'd come home and eaten lunch, and Jana had taken Knox and put him in his crib and put him down for his nap. And we were kind of picking up the house and, and kind of, you know, tidying up before we took advantage of our afternoon. And so one of the things we were doing was we were cleaning up the, the dishes from our lunch. And so Jana and I are in the kitchen. She's washing and I'm drying. And uh, we're just chit-chatting and having a great Sunday. Uh, and I had taken a glass, a drinking glass uh, from Jana and rinsed it. And I'd taken a towel and my I had been taught by my mom to take a towel when you dry a glass and you kind of wad it up a little bit and you stuff it inside the glass and turn it. You know what I'm talking about? So you get the inside of the glass dried off. And then I took it a step further and I would grab the outside lip of the glass and wipe the outside lip to, to dry the lip because that's where your lips touch the glass. You want to make sure that that part of your drinking vessels gets cleaned extra well. So I, I'd grab this glass and I'd stuff the towel into it and I was turning it and I had grabbed the outside and I pushed and started to spin to clean the rim of this glass and it shattered in my hand as I was pushing. 
Now, I'm not, going into, I'm not going to go into gory detail, but the glass, the shard that I was holding on to because I was pushing at the moment went into my wrist. And so at that moment, I went, uh-oh. <laughs> and my wife sprung into action. Now, my wife has a, a medical background. And so my wife went, okay, you need to do this. And she grabbed a towel and wadded it up, threw it on my wrist. She said, lay down on your back. And so I laid down on my back and she kind of assessed what was going on, and, and things weren't very good. I was not, the bleeding wasn't going to stop by putting a towel on it. Let's just say that. So Jana was like, oh my gosh, what do we do? Okay, I got to go get the baby. Okay, then we'll go get in the car, and then we'll go to, over to urgent care. So long story short, we grabbed, she grabbed the baby. She picked me up. We walked out to the car. I got in. She got Knox all strapped in. We drive over to urgent care. We pull into the parking lot, and every space was full, filled in the urgent care. And I thought, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Janice pulled over and she said, get out, go get checked in. I was starting to look a little pale at this point. She goes, get out, go get checked in. I'll find a parking space and bring Knox in. Okay, sounds good. Feeling a little lightheaded at this moment. So I step out of our SUV and I make my kind of stumbling, stammering, way over to the front door and I open the front door to the urgent care and I walk up to the window and the receptionist looks at me and says yes how can I help you and I said yes ma'am I need to see a doctor and she said okay what do you need to see the doctor about and I said I slipped my wrist side note don't ever tell a medical person that you slit your wrist I'll tell you right now, they're going to jump to the worst conclusions. In that moment, the receptionist went as white as I was. Now, at this point, I'm ready to lay back down, whether I voluntarily lay myself down or I just lay down. And at that exact moment, thank you, Lord Jesus, for this, Jana walks in the door and goes, Wait! That's not what he means! (laughs) She walks over to the receptionist's window. She goes, he was drying a dish and it shattered and poked him in the wrist. And he's, he didn't slit his wrist. He got stabbed in the wrist with a broken piece of glass. And the receptionist went, oh, okay, thank goodness. <laughs> Apparently, there are protocols when somebody walks in with a slit wrist. <laughs> Imagine that. So, they, a nurse comes out, because I'm not looking so good at this point. A nurse comes out and gets some dressing, because the towel at this point is just not a white towel anymore. It's a red towel. And they lay me down in the reception area. Long story short, they take me back. They stitch me up. Um, it wasn't too bad, but it wasn't too good either. Kind of one of those scenarios. And, and everything was fine. I had stitches in for a couple weeks, and everything healed up great. Uh, and it, it, was, it, was, it worked out okay. But lesson here is, what did I learn? I, I, you know, there's, there's a point to me telling a funny story. What did I learn in this moment? Well, I learned this. As a husband, I have no business doing dishes. <laughs> Husbands, lean over, nudge your wife. You see it? Pastor said so. I can't, I can't do dishes. It's spiritual. Pastor said it from the stage. No, that's not what I mean. I still help Jana with the dishes very, very often. No, what I learned is in that moment, despite the fact that I am a seminary-trained communicator, 
And I generally make good decisions, even decisions on the fly, in that moment, because of my physical and mental weakness, I made a horrible decision. I told a medical professional that I slipped my wrist. Don't do that. It's a bad idea. Today, we're going to talk about one of the weakest men in the Bible, Samson. And you go, wait. Samson was the strongest man in the Bible. He was the physically strongest man. He was not that strong in other areas. So I want you to take your Bibles. And I want you to take your apps, whatever you read on. And I want you to turn to Judges chapter 14. Judges chapter 14 is where we're going to start this morning. If you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles in the pews. Grab one of those. Judges uh, is the seventh, Bible, the seventh book in the Bible. You'll go through uh, Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, and then Judges. If you get to a book that has a one or a two in front of it, you've gone too far and you need to back up. So, Judges chapter 14 is where we're going to be. And we're going to look at Samson. Now, as you're turning to Judges 14, let me uh, do a recap. We've gone through Genesis, which means we've talked about Adam and Eve. We've talked about Noah, Abraham, uh, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. We've gone through Exodus. We've talked about Moses and the life he lived. We've gone through, uh, we touched on Joshua, just mentioning who he was. And then we started Judges last week and talked about a man named Gideon back in uh, earlier part of Judges. And now today we're towards the end of Judges with a man named Samson. Now let me tell you about Samson before we start reading some of the parts of his life. Samson was born to a couple who couldn't have babies. Basically, if you go back to the very beginning of Judges 13, you're going to read about this guy and his wife. It says that his wife was barren, which means she couldn't have kids. Uh, this guy prays to God and makes some commitments, and they end up getting pregnant, having a child. And God sends an angel to the wife, and then later to the husband as well, to tell them that this person, this child they're having, is special and has a purpose. And part of the purpose is that this person, this baby and child and then adult, is to be a Nazarite. Now, what in the world is a Nazarite? Well, if you go back into Numbers chapter 6, you're going to read about the Nazarite vow. And the Nazarite vow is simply this. If you, uh, a couple of people, there are some people in the Bible that did the Nazarite vow for a lifetime. Samson is one of them. There are some people in the Bible that we read about, uh, Paul being a great example, who took a temporary Nazarite vow. But the Nazarite vow was this. You were making some kind of special commitment to the Lord in this vow. And one of the, some of the signs that you did as a Nazarite is you would shave your head and then once you shaved it, you didn't touch your hair at all. Uh, so if you were a lifelong Nazarite, basically, you just started growing your hair and you never shaved it. There's a misconception. It doesn't mean that they didn't clip it from time to time. It means that a razor never touched their head, their skull. And so the Nazarite, if you were an adult and took a temporary vow, you would shave your head, which was very unusual back then, I would have stuck out like a sore thumb back in biblical times. But you would shave your head and then you would not allow 
your head to be touched by a razor through your vow period. And the other thing, you did not eat grapes or drink anything that came from a grape. So no grapes, no grape juice, no wine, strictly off limits. And the last part is that you were un, uh, unable to touch anything that had died. Uh, so you couldn't touch a carcass, you couldn't touch a dead body, you couldn't do those kinds of things. And so Paul, we know, takes a Nazarite vow because it talks about him shaving his head and then going through the vow process after that. So Paul does it. Uh, John the Baptist was considered a Nazarite because of the life he lived. But Samson is probably the most famous Nazarite because of what? His hair. Because his hair is intimately connected in with his storyline. And so Samson never cut his hair. He never shaved his head. Uh, it's assumed that he probably clipped the ends from time to time. Ladies, you can't just let your hair grow and grow and grow and not clip the ends, right? It grows kind of nasty and frazzled on the ends. I don't know. I don't have hair, so I can't speak into that. But, but that's what the Nazarite did. That's what Samson did. So he's born. He, he lives in this Nazarite vow. And then he goes on a series of making horrible relationship decisions. Uh, when we get into chapter 14, we'll read this in a minute. When you get into chapter 14, we read that he goes and decides he wants to marry a Philistine woman. Now, there was actually an Old Testament, Old Testament command saying that the Israelite people were to never marry a foreign woman because that foreign woman, the warning is, they would lead them away from God and make them, lead them to worshiping their idols. So, he goes and does exactly what God's Word tells him not to do. He goes and travels to the Philistine country, which is a part of Israel at that time. And he decides he wants to marry a Philistine woman. Some things take place. Um, then the marriage doesn't actually happen. Uh, people get hurt, killed, things. Yeah, just read it. It's chapter 13, 14. You can check it all out there. Then we find out later that he goes back into the area of Philistine. And he goes in to see a prostitute. And some bad things happen there. He, some people try to ambush him and he tears a gate off of a city wall. You can read about that also. And then we find the story of Samson and Delilah. The, the big story that everybody who grew up in Sunday school saw on the flanographs, right? You had those flannel graphs that, you know, you'd see Samson and he was big and strong and he married this woman that was not supposed to be someone he should be marrying. That's what we're going to be focusing on today is Samson's horrible decision with relationships. So take your Bibles. I want you to turn to Judges 14. And as you're looking there, we're going to start in verse 1. As you're turning there, here's my big idea. If you're a note taker, this is what I want you to write down. And also, guys, just FYI, if you're a note taker, I've got lots of Bible verses that I'm going to be reading today. So if you're a note taker, get ready to write some Bible verses down. But the idea, the big idea today is God has purpose for relationships, so seek relationships purposefully. God has purpose for every one of our relationships, friendships, romantic, husband, wife, kids, co-workers, whatever. God has a purpose for every relationship you have. And so seek those relationships with purpose, purposefully. So, that's the idea. I'm going to give you four things that I think are important to seeking godly relationships. 
And guys, please hear me. When I say relationships, I'm not talking about romance only. I'm talking about close personal friendships as well. Romance is included here, obviously, but I'm talking about any close relationship that you foster or have in your life. So here's the first word of wisdom that we have from the story of Samson, and we'll read the passage that backs it up. The first pa- the thing that we should learn is to have wisdom. When it comes to relationships, have wisdom. Listen to the wise advice of the people around you. So look with me in chapter 14, starting in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 3. It says, Samson went down to Timnah. Now Timnah was in the country of Philistine, the the Philistine uh, encampment. Samson really had no reason to go there, but he goes there often. And, And we're going to talk about that in a moment. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now go and get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? So, Samson, from the very get-go, gets good godly wisdom from his parents. Now, if you keep reading chapter 14, you're going to find that Samson completely ignores their good godly wisdom. They're speaking God's word into his life, and he is going, eh, shut up, just go do what I told you to do. Go get me that woman as my wife. And we're going to find out that actually God had a purpose in this, but Samson had to go through some tough stuff in order to accomplish that purpose. You see, we need to understand that lust is not love. Lust is not love. And I say lust, but sometimes don't we seek friendships because we want to be that kind of person or we want to be around that kind of person or we want to look important because we have a friendship with that particular person? We lust after their status or we lust after their lifestyle or we lust after the hobby that they're into, knowing all the well that if we build a close relationship with that person... That person's not going to lead us toward Jesus, but probably further away from Jesus. See, Samson sought after a woman because of his lust. If you read the first three, chap- first three verses of chapter 14, it is all about the woman's looks. And his lust drove him to disobey God's wisdom. Even though his parents, in the moment, cautioned him against it. So have wisdom with your relationships. Realize that you need to listen to God's word and the godly advice of the people around you. Don't listen to your heart. What is the common cultural phrase today? Oh, well, my heart led me. Or listen to the leading of your heart. No, that's horrible advice. Do you know what Jeremiah 17 says? Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The cultural uh, cultural advice to follow your heart is the worst unbiblical advice that you could listen to because your heart leads you to your lustful desires. 
whether they be physical lust or status lust or or, uh, some kind of hobby lust, whatever it is, your heart's going to drive you to lust, not to righteousness. That's what Samson did. He followed his heart rather than following the wisdom of God's Word. And so we need to understand that we've got to have wisdom when it comes to how we seek and foster relationships in our lives. Here's my second bit of advice. First one is have wisdom. The second one is have standards. Have standards. I tell students this all the time. They come and ask me, I used to be a youth pastor, and so I would have students come and talk to me about, well, what about, what do I do here with relationships, and who should I date, and who shouldn't I date, and things like that, and I would, I would teach on this, and, and the thing that I would tell them most often is have standards, have things that you just must have in a relationship, have, even if you have to list it out, have a list of things that are do's and absolute nots in your relationships. Uh, and so look with me at chapter 14. We're going to skip around a little bit, so get ready. It's between chapter 14 and 16. So chapter 14, verse 1, we've already read it, but I'm going to read it again. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. Now jump over to chapter 16, verse 1. Maybe a page over. <clears throat> chapter 16, verse 1 says, one day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute and went and spent the night with her. Are you seeing a pattern of where Samson tends to go? Look at verse 4 now, 16 verse 4. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman who lived in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The valley of Sorek was in the nation of Philistine. It was actually the dividing uh, border between the Israelite people and the Philistine people. Samson did not have good standards. One of the standards that Samson should have had was that the women he decided to pursue needed to be Israelites, God-fearers. They needed to be followers of God. But because Samson never sat down and made that part of his standards for his dating relationships, he constantly sought ungodly pursuits. He constantly sought people that God told him not to pursue. And so we have to have standards. All right, I said that I was going to read a lot of Bible verses today. So if you're a note taker, here's the first one. 1 Corinthians 15.33. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Bad company ruins good morals. We're not talking about dating relationships only or husband and spouse, you know, husband and wife relationships. We're talking about close friendships. I'm not saying don't be a friend to someone who doesn't love the Lord. I'm saying be cautious to make them their, your best friend or your confidant or your, your, the person that you go to constantly anytime you need advice or need direction, or need a shoulder to cry on, or, or someone to complain to, that kind of person should not be the person you go to. You need to have standards, because bad company ruins good morals. Next passage, Deuteronomy 7, verses 3 through 4. 
This is the one that um, Samson actually disobeys. Deuteronomy 7, 3 through 4 says, You shall not intermarry with them, speaking about foreign women, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for, you, for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he would destroy you quickly. Samson knew God's word. Believe me, in this day and time when Samson is alive, Deuteronomy was a book that youths were taught. Samson knew that the Bible said not to go and marry a Philistine woman, yet he still did it because he didn't have standards. Uh, last passage, 2 Corinthians 6.1. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Sorry, for 2 Corinthians 6.14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? That's not talking just about dating. That's talking about any close, intimate, personal relationship. Your best friend needs to be someone who's godly. Because when you go to that person and you say, oh man, I'm struggling here. Oh, I'm having a hard time with this particular issue. You need someone that can give you godly advice. Not secular, not ungodly advice. You need to have standards. Guys, I have friends. Uh, I'm not going to make it sound like I've got tons of friends. But I do have friends. Surprise. Uh, <laughs> But I will tell you right now, I'm very, very cautious with my interaction with my friends. I have two friends that if the world came crashing down in my life, I would turn to them because they are two of the godliest men that I know. I have friends who don't know Jesus at all, who do not have a relationship with Him. And while I have great conversations with those guys... Those are not the guys that I go to if my world comes crumbling down because they're not going to give me godly advice. They're going to give me worldly advice and I don't need that when my world comes crumbling down. The idea is your closest relationships should be with Christians, with followers of Jesus. So, I've talked about have wisdom. I've talked about have standards. My next point that we learned from Samson is we need to have boundaries. Have boundaries. Look with me in Judges 16, starting in verse 6. Judges 16, verse 6. We're going to read the whole account of Samson and Delilah. Chapter 16, verse 6. So Delilah said to Samson, so they've been dating. Uh, they're, They're planning on getting married. Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied and subdued. Samson answered her, if anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried. She tied them up with them with men hidden in the room. She called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Verse 10, then Delilah said to Samson, you made a fool of me. You lied to me. How come? Come now, tell me, how can you be tied? 
And he said, if anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Then with men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arm as if they were threads. Verse 13, Delilah then said to Samson, all this time you've been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. And he replied, if you weave the seven braids of my hair into the fabric of any loom and tighten it with a pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, Delilah took seven braids of his head, these seven braids of his head, wove them into a fabric and tightened it with a pin. Again, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from the sleep, pulled the pin and the loom with the fabric. Look at verse 15. Mind you, Samson has told her three lies and she has executed those three lies upon him every time. Look at verse 15. Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. And with such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. That's pretty harsh. Verse 17. So he told her everything. What? A dumb decision. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. What do you think happens? Verse 18. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, Come back once more. He has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his, of his hair and so began to subdue him and his strength left him. What did he think was going to happen? What did he imagine? Hmm, I've told her three lies about how to subdue me and she has done all three I got a good idea. Why don't we tell her the truth? Yeah! No. But guys, Samson didn't have boundaries. Samson did not have healthy boundaries in his relationships. You see, at some point, people are going to show their true colors. They're going to say something, they're going to do something, and they are going to reveal what they are really like. And when they show themselves, we have to establish and decide what we will allow and what we will not allow in that relationship. Samson should have seen the red flags. God sent him three red flags. And he still stayed with Delilah to the point that he ended up confessing how to make himself weak. And so, he didn't have boundaries Proverbs 22 talks about this. Proverbs 19 talks about this. Listen to what Titus 3, verses 9 through 11 says. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Now, stop for a minute. Who is Paul talking to in this book? In the book of Titus, who is Paul addressing? He's addressing Titus, who's a pastor. 
and he's telling a pastor how to deal, how to work with, how to have relationship with the people in his church. And what does he warn Titus about? People who are obsessed with controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law, and everything that's unprofitable and worthless. That should be a caution to us, right? Our own boundary should be that we never do these things, ever. So, Titus 3.9, now we're continuing going. As for a person who stirs up dissension, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful and self-condemned. Jesus makes it clear through the words of Paul to Titus that when we have a fellow brother or sister in Christ who is completely disobedient to God's clear direction for them and the church, there's a point after warning them and warning them that we're supposed to have a boundary and disassociate from them. I know that's hard. I know this is a hard statement to make. But God is giving us healthy boundaries here. And we should probably pay attention. 1 Corinthians 5, 11 through 13. But now I'm writing you to not associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or idolatry or reveler or a drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? judge God judges those outside, but purge the evil person from among you. That is hard to hear. But it is a boundary that God has commanded us as followers of Christ to establish in our lives. So, have wisdom, have standards, have boundaries. Lastly, have humility. Have humility. Guys, we're never going to have perfect relationships, are we? Husbands, wives, not jokingly, but seriously. Do you have a perfect relationship? No. We could all improve because we're sinful people. And there will come a point in our relationships where we realize that either the other person has stepped out of the boundaries and standards or we have stepped outside the boundaries and standards. And we need to, at that point, in humility, let Jesus take control of that relationship. You see, here's the beautiful part. God wants to redeem every relationship you have. Jesus wants to redeem and see reconciliation take place in every broken relationship that you have. But we have to have the humility to follow God's word and do what it tells us to seek that reconciliation and redemption in that relationship. You see, Jesus didn't die on a cross to save us from our sins so that we could go and destroy other relationships. He reconciled us to God, didn't he? When he died on a cross, the least we can do is go and reconcile with others for the glory of God. So, here's my questions. What standards and boundaries do you need to establish in your life? And lastly, who do you need to seek redemption and reconciliation with? That's a hard question because I guarantee you the vast majority of us in this room have some relationship that is destroyed, that's hurt, that's suffering, and we haven't had the courage up to this point to make that phone call 
to seek reconciliation and redemption in it. Go to the end of Samson's story. Samson becomes a slave, a prisoner to the Philistines in a pretty bad way. They gouge his eyes out and they make him turn a mill, a big stone, to ground their, their flour. And at the end of his life, the Philistines decide to bring him into one of their temples to make fun of him, to mock him. And he has the boy who's leading him take him to the center of the arena. It's a big arena. Take him to the center where the two pillars that hold up this Philistine temple are. And in that moment, he says, God, I need you to give me your strength again so that I can have revenge and I can bring you the glory. And what does he do? He stands between those two pillars and he pushes them apart. And the whole temple coliseum comes crashing down. Side note, there was a dig in the area of Gaza where the Philistines lived. They found a temple in that area, actually three of them, layers of them. And in that area, the temple was built where it had rows of seating in a circle and two massive wooden columns in the center held by two large stones as the foundations. I always struggled with this passage. How does Samson get where he can put both arms on a set of pillars? The pillars had about two feet had about two feet of space between them. The perfect amount of space for a man to sit, stand with great strength, and push it apart. And because it held up the roof, the entire thing came down on the Philistines. Guys, God's going to glorify His name. No matter what you do in your relationships, God will glorify His name. I would encourage you to seek the boundaries that He establishes for us and the standards that He establishes for us instead of our own standards and values. Join me in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you so much for today. God, we thank you for Samson and the life he lived, even though he made some really bad decisions. We thank you what we can learn from Samson and his mistakes and how you redeemed all of it. Lord, I pray today that you would help us to understand what we need to do in our relationships so that your name will be glorified. Lord, I pray that we would have wisdom by listening to your word and your godly people. We pray that we would have standards and boundaries. And Lord, when things don't go right, we pray that we would have the humility to turn to you for the redemption and reconciliation that you seek. God, we thank you so much. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're now at a time in our service where we get to respond to what God may be doing in your minds and your hearts. Uh, and so here's a couple of ways. First off, if you need to pray, uh, our altar is available to you. We invite you to come and, and pray here uh, at the altar if you need to do that this morning. If you need to talk with someone, my name's Pastor Chad. I'll be available right here in the front uh, at this front pew. Uh, I would love to talk to you or I would love to talk to you after the service out in the foyer. I'll be available out there. Especially if you want to talk about what it looks like to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. I talked about briefly the sacrifice that Jesus made to reconcile us with our Father, God. And if you have a question or you want to pursue that relationship with Jesus and have your life reconciled with God, I would love the opportunity to talk to you about that. So, let's now spend some time in response through worship and prayer. Let's stand.